0: Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. a new one, guardrails. Now we're all pretty familiar with what a guardrail is. What a guardrail is, and I should get a picture up on the screen at some point. What a guardrail is, is it's a you you see them on the side of the road, mostly when you're driving, and they're there to stop vehicles from going into dangerous or off-limit areas. Right? That's why guardrails are on the side of the road, to stop vehicles from going into dangerous or off-limit areas. You usually see them while we're driving over bridges. So on on your way up here to the camp, there we go. You might have seen a couple of guardrails as you drove over the river. Uh, You see them on some highways and some freeways. I'm just going to keep getting in the way of this screen. That's okay. Uh, And they're there to stop you from driving off into the river or off a cliff or into oncoming traffic. So they protect us from dangerous areas and they direct us towards... The safe areas, right? Now think about it, if we change the slide again, think of this like a road, right? This safe zone is the road and this danger zone is a cliff, right? The guardrail isn't halfway down the cliff is it? It's in the safe zone, it's on the side of the road and if that guardrail wasn't there you would just have a little bit of extra driving space. So in reality, what's happening is our driving space, our road is being restricted just a little bit in order to keep us safe. Are we all in agreement with that? Yep, our driving space is being a little bit restricted so that we can be more safe. And if I were to survey the room, survey the nation, the hefty majority would agree that even though our driving space is being restricted, it's a good thing that we have these guardrails. We're better off with them there. We are much more safe with the guardrails on our roads. But I would venture so far as to say that roads and bridges and highways aren't the only place that we need guardrails. I'm going to pose the argument that we need guardrails in almost every single part of our lives. And they're not always literal, sometimes they are, but sometimes they're more metaphorical guardrails. Financial guardrails, like a budget to keep you from going into debt. Professional guardrails at work to stop you from going into burnout. Or relational guardrails, so not spending time with certain people. And the reason we have these guardrails in our lives is so that we don't end up off a financial cliff or a relational cliff. So that we don't find ourselves in so much debt that we can't find that we're struggling to recover. Or we spent so much time with a certain person that suddenly our marriage is starting to fall apart a relational cliff, whatever cliff it might be. This is why we need guardrails, so that we don't cause irreparable damage to either ourselves or to others. Most, if not all of us, can recall a regret we have in our lives, that if only we had certain guardrails in place, we might not have that regret. It might not have happened. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be, Spending time talking about guardrails and talking about how they can protect us from the bad things in life and direct us towards the good. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that can be protecting us from sin and directing us towards God. But the tricky thing is, culture often doesn't celebrate guardrails. Our culture is usually quite against guardrails. They're not encouraged very often. Our society and our culture is so individualistic and it's so against anything and everything that might restrict our freedoms. So rather than putting up guardrails and barriers and boundaries in place, what society likes to do is paint lines. Now, you've seen painted lines on the road sometimes. That's what society likes to do. They paint lines. They make suggestions. They say, hey, you probably shouldn't go over there, but at the end of the day, there's nothing really stopping you besides a line on the road. An example is drink responsibly. We've all heard the saying, drink responsibly, right? But what does that actually mean? It's a bit grey. It's a bit ambiguous. Everyone's definition of responsibility is different. And sometimes after you've had a couple of drinks, your definition of responsibility starts to change as well. What What was irresponsible at the start of the night becomes responsible just a couple of glasses of wines later on. And eventually you get to the point where everything is responsible, right? So that's one example. Sex is another one. The young people in our society are told to wait until you're ready. Have sex when you're ready. And again, what does that mean? It's different for everyone. If you were to ask a teenage boy, are you ready to have sex? He would go, (laughs) I've been ready my whole life. What are you talking about? It's different for everyone. What does it actually mean to be ready? Biologically ready, mentally ready, emotionally ready. Or you do you is another one that we hear a lot. You do you. Listen to your heart. Follow your dreams. What does that that mean? It's so great. It's so ambiguous. And so I'm not trying to suggest that any of these things are bad advice. I think you should drink responsibly. I think you should wait until you're ready to have sex. I think you should wait until you're married, in fact. But these these suggestions that society feed us, they're not clearly defined. They're ambiguous and grey, where guardrails are black and white. Guardrails, it's very easy to see what's right and what's wrong. But these suggestions, these painted lines, society feed us, are often a bit more grey. And I think that's because like I said before, our culture hates being confined by rules. I hate, our culture hates having freedom taken away from us, right? Especially here in Australia and we're seeing it in America. We're seeing it right now in amongst the whole COVID situation, right? How many debates have you heard or been a part of about whether you should wear a mask or whether you should get vaccinated, whether it should be mandatory to get vaccinated? And I'm not trying to force a political stance on you here I'm not trying to say that you should or shouldn't get vaccinated, that's not my job here, this is just an observation and we're seeing riots and protests and rallies against guardrails that our government is trying to put into place our culture hates being confined by rules guardrails are not celebrated in our culture and perhaps you've experienced this personally with the people around you I know I certainly have when I hang out with my friends, sometimes they ridicule me because I don't act a certain way, because I don't say certain things. and So they ridicule me, they make fun of me because of the guardrails I have in place. But guardrails, like I said, they can protect us from the bad and they can direct us towards the good. They can help us to thrive. Having guardrails don't just protect us from bad things, they direct us towards the the good things and if you're a follower of Jesus they direct you towards God and this idea of guardrails isn't new or revolutionary it's been around for centuries you know thousands of years in fact in the old testament the hebrew bible the first five books are genesis exodus leviticus numbers and deuteronomy and these five books are called the books of the law Because big chunks of them are God giving guardrails to the Israelite nation so that they can be different to other people, so that they don't get sent into exile. Exile is the danger zone, and the rules are the guardrails. But what do the Israelites do? If you're familiar, you would know that they break the rules over and 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 over. Just look at the Ten Commandments. The first of the Ten Commandments is, Do not worship any other gods. So what do the Israelites do? They worship other gods. And they get sent into exile. God says, do not make any false gods. So what do the Israelites do? They make some false gods. And they get sent into exile. And I could stand up here all day, listing off example after example of Israelite nation in the Bible, jumping over, ignoring these guardrails that God has given to them. But the New Testament also speaks about guardrails as well. Not necessarily as guardrails, but they talk about the same sort of thing. The Apostle Paul especially. The Apostle Paul was one of the most influential Christians in history. He started off as a Jewish leader who wanted to kill as many Christians as he could. But after a radical experience with the risen Jesus, he was transformed. And he went from wanting to kill as many Christians as he could to wanting to create as many Christians as he could. And he spent the second half of his life just going from place to place across Asia and across Europe, planting churches and spreading the word of God as far as he could. And on his journey, he gets to this place called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a really important city at the time. It's not so much now because it's just a bunch of ruins. But 2,000 years ago, it had a massive port. And so it was really good for trade on boats. But it was also close to major trade routes on land as well. And so there were lots of traders coming through. And as a result, Ephesus became very wealthy. It became very important. And it actually housed one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis, which was a goddess that they worshipped at Ephesus. And this place, Ephesus, was super secular, super immoral. Because of all the traders coming through, it was just a mismatch of different cultures and beliefs and behaviors. And as a result, It was what people considered to be quite immoral. You know, the Bible describes it as godless at one point. That's how immoral it was considered to be. And so Paul thinks, I'm going to go to Ephesus, and I'm going to plant a church. I'm going to plant a church in Ephesus. And that's what he did. He planted a church in Ephesus, and he stayed there for a couple of years, and he built up the place, and he built up the leaders, and it got to a point where they didn't need him anymore. And so he said, right, I'm going to go plant a new church somewhere else. You guys will be all right. And off he goes. But later on, he writes a letter back to them. And that's what we call the letter of Ephesians in the New Testament. And in that letter, he writes a couple of of verses, a couple of nuggets of wisdom to the church in Ephesus about how to live life well. How to live life with guardrails so that they don't go off the wayside and end up off a relational cliff or a financial cliff or any other kind of cliff. And regardless of whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, I reckon this is just really good advice. You know, a lot of what I'm about to talk about can be applied to just normal life, regardless of whether you're a Christian or not. So don't switch off. Here we go. To start off, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. says, Be very careful, then, how you live. Be very careful how... You live. Paul instructs the people in Ephesus to live carefully. And that word live in the original Greek can be translated to walk. Be very careful how you walk. Be very careful how you live. He's saying to watch where you're going, where you're walking, where you're living. Pay attention to what's around you. How are you acting? What people are you surrounding yourself with? Where are you going? For some of us, the challenge is there already. Is the way you're living right now leading you to the life that you want for yourself later on? Is the way you're living, the way you're walking, leading you to the life that you want for yourself? If you call yourself a Christian, is the life you're living leading you to the life that God wants you to? That might be the challenge for some of us today. Be very careful how you live. Pay attention to what's around you. Paul continues, Be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now when we come to make a decision in life, we often ask ourselves, what's the right choice, and what's the wrong choice? And that's a good question to ask. What's right, and what's wrong? But what Paul would suggest is rather than asking what's right to do, he would suggest what is wise to do. Where right and wrong is often focused just on the center, or the present, sorry, what's happening right now. In my current circumstance, my current situation, what would be the right thing for me to do? But the wise choice takes into account the past, your past experiences, the past experiences of your friends, of your family, of your parents, your present, what am I, what, where am I right now? What is my current situation? What is my circumstance? And it also takes into account the future. Where do I want to go? Is this decision going to lead me where I want to go? That is what wisdom requires. Where right and wrong is all about the present, wisdom is about the past, the present, and the future. Here's an example. On my days off, I'll lie in bed, I'll sit at my desk, and I'll think, should I get KFC for lunch today? And obviously the right decision is yes, (laughs) I should. But wisdom requires me to look back and think, well, I had KFC for lunch yesterday, and right now I have food in my fridge and I could go make a sandwich and I don't really want to spend the rest of the day going back and forth between my bedroom and the bathroom so yes I should still get KFC that is the wise decision no obviously I'm joking <laughs> but that uh, that's just a sort of fun example but sometimes it can be quite serious sometimes making the wise choice can be really hard It can mean ending a relationship. It can mean stepping away from a job that you love. It could mean stopping something to make room for something else. Sometimes wisdom can be really hard, and it isn't always obvious at first. Be very careful how you live. Watch where you're going. What's around you? Who are you surrounding yourself with? And live not as unwise, but as wise, taking into consideration where you've been where you are now and where you want to go. Paul continues, making the most of every opportunity. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. The literal translation of, there it is, making the most of every opportunity. The literal translation from Greek to English is redeeming the time. I think that's really cool. Redeeming, The time. It's often said, it's often heard that time is our most valuable resource. You can get more money, you can get more fame, you can get more relationships, but you can't get more time. And so, Paul's saying we need to make the most of our time here on earth because life is short. And the older I get, the more I start to realise just how true that is. I turned 23 this week and it feels like only... A month ago, I turned 22. You know, The older I get, the faster time seems to go. So Paul's saying that we need to make the most of our time here on earth because life is short, time is fleeting, and so you need to make the most of every opportunity, making sure that you make wise decisions and that you live carefully so that you can go where you want to go. You can go where God wants you to go. You and I, Need to live not as unwise but as wise, making the most of our time and our opportunities. Why, Paul? Because the days are evil. That is the reason he gives, because the days are evil. And what Paul means here, this can be, this is a bit of an odd sort of part of the verse, but what Paul means here is that we are living in a world that doesn't always want us to succeed. The world we're living in very rarely wants us to succeed it's working against us particularly if you're a Jesus follower culture and society is at odds with what you believe and how you behave how many of us if we were to sit back and reflect how many of us feel as though life's just beaten us down how many times do we feel like we've just drawn the short straw again and again I'm sure we can all recall a time where we've just felt like life just keeps taking us down and we get back up in life, bang, straight back down again. This world doesn't always want us to succeed. And this is why Paul is saying to live carefully, to live wisely and make the most of your time. Because this world is unfair. I know That can be hard to hear sometimes. The world is unfair. Good things happen to bad people. And bad things happen to good people. And there's not much we can do about it. But what we can do, what we are in control of, is how we live. And we are in control of whether we live carefully, whether we live wisely, and whether we're making the most of the time that we have so that we can get to where we want to go. And this is why we need guardrails. The world is evil. The days are evil. It is working against us. And so we need guardrails to keep us on course. And if we have guardrails to protect us from the bad stuff in our world and direct us towards the good, it becomes a lot easier to stay on course. And our guardrails will be there to stop us from falling off the wayside, from falling off the relational financial cliff, whatever it is for you. And this is what Paul means. Because at the end of the day, we're not the only ones trying to get by. Right? There are billions of people on this earth and every single one of them is trying to live their life. And not all of them have your best interests at heart. And not all of them are paying attention. Sometimes they're just so focused on themselves that they don't even realize where you are and what you're doing. And so we need to keep our eyes open And we need to be paying attention to what's happening around us. A lot of us would have learned how to drive. And I remember when my instructor and my dad were teaching me how to drive, they would say, pay attention to the road. Pay attention to what the other cars are doing and what's happening around you. Even the best drivers can get into accidents because of what someone else did. Sometimes it's of no fault of... sometimes it's not your fault whether you get into an accident or not. Sometimes it's because someone else ran the red light or someone else was speeding or someone else was texting while they were driving. And if you text while you drive, word from God, don't. Don't text while you're driving. But we need to be paying attention to what's happening around us while we're driving and the same is in life. While we're living, while we're walking through life, We need to be paying attention to what the people around us are doing. So that when someone sort of comes into our zone and we start to get pushed off a bit, we can have our guardrails there to keep us on course. Right? You still with me? We need to pay attention. It's not enough to just focus on ourselves. Paul keeps going. So therefore, do not be foolish... But understand what the Lord's will is. Therefore, do not be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. And what he's saying here is that you shouldn't deceive yourselves. Don't trick yourselves into thinking something that isn't true. You know you, so you know what guardrails you need to have in place. Don't be foolish and don't trick yourself into thinking you don't need something when you do. And to understand, this word understand, another way to say that from the Greek is to acknowledge or to embrace. And sometimes it can be really hard to understand what the Lord's will is. And so the word acknowledge is sometimes a bit easier. Do not be foolish, but acknowledge what God's will is. Acknowledge what the wise thing to do is. Acknowledge whether you're living wisely or not. And then, after this, Paul gives us an example of a guardrail. right? All the stuff we've just spoken about is about why guardrails are important, why we need them to protect us from bad and direct us towards good. And then Paul gives us an example. He says, Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. And this word debauchery, if you don't know what it means, it's Giving, usually used in a sexual sort of uh, context, giving into sexual indulgence or immorality. But that's not hugely important, just sort of clear that up because we don't really use that word anymore. But with this verse, I think you can substitute things in and out of it with whatever is most relevant. So you can swap out, hang on, go back, sorry. <laughs> you can swap out debauchery for violence or abuse, or lust. And you can swap out getting drunk for whatever it might be for you. Spending time with a certain person, going to a certain website, whatever it is. So now, if we go to the, to the next slide, because getting drunk isn't actually the problem. Paul isn't saying that getting drunk is the problem. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's just do a little exercise quickly. Sorry. With this here, (laughs) there we go. With this here, what would be the most relevant for your life? Reading that up there, what comes to mind in your life to fill in those blanks? Do not blank because it leads to blank. What comes to your mind? What guardrails do you need to have in your life to stop you behaving in a certain way or thinking in a certain way? What is it for you? Now, Paul isn't saying that getting drunk is the problem. Paul's not saying that getting drunk is the problem. He's saying what it leads to is the problem. But Paul was a smart guy. And he knew that simply saying, do not fall into debauchery, just saying that wasn't going to be enough for the Israelites. You know, there's a whole history of God saying, telling to the Israelites, don't do this, and then they do it. You know, there's thousands of years of history of that. So Paul knew that he needed to do something else. He knew simply saying, do not fall into debauchery. Debauchery was enough. So put in place a guardrail. To stop them from falling into debauchery he said do not get drunk because it's the drunkenness that leads to debauchery so do not get drunk and then you won't fall into debauchery and this is basic psychology if you don't know much about me I study psychology at uni I've been doing it for five years (laughs) and I'm tired of it I love it but I'm tired of it and I want to be done but anyway And one of the first things I learned was about behavior change and behavior management. And the things the lecturer said was, if you just tell someone not to do it, they're going to want to do it. So if I say, don't think about elephants, (laughs) what have you all just done? You've thought about elephants. (laughs) So, what psychology says is that rather than telling someone, don't do something, you need to set up something back here. And they need to stop doing something back here or they need to do something else back here so that they don't get to the stage here. Right? If we were to put that in the language we've been talking about today, you need to put a guardrail here so you don't fall into the danger zone here. Does that make sense? Cool. Because when we find ourselves in the danger zone, It is sometimes possible to get ourselves back out of it. But when we're in there, it can be really hard. And it can be way too easy to just lose control entirely. It can be way too easy to just, excuse me, stick around in the danger zone, doing things, behaving in certain ways, thinking certain things. And we just find ourselves stuck there. Paul says in a letter to another church in Corinth, in Corinthians, he says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. I will not be mastered by anything. And so I ask you, what is mastering your life right now? If you are in this danger zone, what is keeping you there? What is mastering your life right now? It could be anything. It could be alcohol. It could be a relationship. It could be porn. It could be a job. It could be anything. Is there something mastering your life right now that is sending you down a life trajectory further into the danger zone that you just don't want? Is there something in control? That shouldn't be in control. This is why we need guardrails. (laughs) To protect us from what's in the danger zone. And to direct us to the good. They safeguard us from having to give up control to something that shouldn't have it. They safeguard us from giving up control to that person. Or giving up control to that job. Or that habit. Whatever it might be for you. Guardrails help us to stay in control of our lives so that we don't find ourselves in a situation where we don't have any. How are we going? We good? Still with me? Staying awake? Not falling asleep yet? (laughs) I know it's been a little while. I've just got a little bit more to go. So stay with me. If you need to move around a little bit, do that. Because Paul, this next part, he's changing direction a little bit. Up until this point, what, what I've been talking about and what Paul's been saying can be applied to just any life. Regardless of whether you're a Christian or not, putting up guardrails can be a really beneficial way to live your life. Helping you to live carefully and wisely, making the most of your time. And you don't need to be a Christian to apply any of that. You know, like I said, psychology and therapists and counsellors have been suggesting it for a really long time. Uh, Paul's changing direction here. And this next part, he says, it brings God into the equation. And it brings the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ into the equation. This is where he leans into his faith. He says, do not get drunk, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, after Jesus died on the cross... He spent three days in the tomb, and he was resurrected. And after he was resurrected, he spent some time on earth with his disciples, and then he ascended into heaven. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, a gift was given to his followers. That gift was the Holy Spirit. And since that moment, followers of Jesus have been able to tap into the Holy Spirit for guidance and for wisdom on how to live life well. How to live life carefully and wisely, making the most of your time. And if you've been following Jesus for, for a little while now, maybe you've experienced the Holy Spirit. The New Testament teaches us that we often experience it through our conscience. We go to do something and then it just doesn't feel quite right. We know that we should do something else. Or you go to spend time with a certain person and you just think, maybe I shouldn't. That's the Holy Spirit. And while all this stuff that I've been talking about, you can do it without the Spirit, it becomes a whole lot easier with the Spirit. It becomes a whole lot clearer as to what living carefully means. It becomes a whole lot clearer what living wisely means. Because by accepting the Spirit into our minds and our hearts, we gain access to a direct relationship with a living, caring God who wants the best for us in a world that desperately wants us to fail. Through the Holy Spirit, we gain access to a God who loves us so much, he sent his one and only son to die on a cross for the sins of you and I, so that we no longer had to be slaves to sin and darkness, but so that we could walk in freedom. We could walk in light, living our lives with hope and joy and peace and love knowing that we are in control, knowing that God is in control and everything's going to be okay. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, there is a God up there and he loves you and he sent his son Jesus to die for you so that you would not be mastered by anything so that you could walk in freedom. To finish up, Paul says, if we just sum up everything I've said, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Nobody plans to wreck their lives. you think that's a fair statement? Mm-hmm. Nobody really plans to wreck their lives. But sometimes it can still happen. So what guardrails do is they're our way of planning to not wreck our lives. You know, a lot of people don't plan to wreck their lives but no one really plans not to and guardrails are our way of doing that. Guardrails are our way of planning not to wreck Our lives. And so we need to set up guardrails in our lives to help us live in a way that is careful, in a way that is wise, so that we can be protected from the bad and the dangerous, and so that we can be directed towards the good and the holy. And this isn't I just want to stress here this isn't about becoming better people. Now if if you do all this then yes, you most likely will become a better person, but that isn't the end goal the end goal here is to be able to live our life in a way that glorifies God. To live our life in a way that glorifies the one who gave it to us. Right? So the challenge is there. Where in your life do you need to establish some guardrails? Where do you need to put up some barriers to stop you from going into the danger zone to becoming mastered by something that shouldn't have control? Where do you need guardraps? Would you pray with me? Loving God, we thank you for your love. God, we thank you that you gave your son Jesus to die for us. God, when Jesus was on the cross, he had us in mind. So loving God, we thank you and we praise you for your love, for your mercy and your grace. Loving God, help give us the, the wisdom and the courage and the bravery to put up guardrails in our lives. God, we pray for your protection over us so that we might not end up in the danger zone. So that we might not end up being mastered by something that shouldn't have control. God, guide us, protect us from evil and direct us towards the good. Direct us towards you. Father, once more we thank you and we praise you. In your precious name we pray.